This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get it going. This hour of Flames Talk is underway. It is Thursday, October 12th. The Flames winning on opening night two years in a row in this economy? Doesn't happen very often. We're not used to opening night wins for the Calgary Flames. Remember how long that streak was until they broke it last year? And now back-to-back years, they're 1-0 to start the season? Yeah, you'll take that. We're underway. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. 5-3, your final score as the Flames beat the Winnipeg Jets. Now, definitely was not a perfect night for them. Definitely things to clean up, no doubt. Uh, even listen to Ryan Huska's answer to one of uh, Logo's questions after the game on Wednesday night. I thought this was a, a pretty good way of summing up how the head coach and the coaching staff thought of things on Wednesday. On a personal note, is this one you'll remember as your first win as a head coach in the NHL? Uh, I'll remember it for sure. I wish it was a little bit better of a game, but most definitely we'll remember it. <laughs> you know, that's a, if that's a real quality win and uh, that. The, they played the way um, they wanted them to play. Maybe it's a little bit of a different answer. And again, very shortly after the game. So I, I kind of get it on Ryan Huska's front. I just thought that was very amusing. He's like, yeah, I'll remember it. I wish it was a better game. But um, look, there were definitely numerous areas that need to be cleaned up. But I also thought there were some positive takeaways. And I also thought there were some things that are really important to dive into. So as we get this hour of Flames Talk underway, um, let's let's dive into those positives. Some of the positive takeaways from Calgary's 5-3 win. Uh, it's Steinberg and uh, Aaron Vickers from NHL.com with us as well. Hello, Vicks. Hey, buddy. How's it going? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's good to see you. Uh, here are my three positive takeaways. Adam, if you want, on the text line at 960-960, we'll jump into that uh, once we get through the, uh, the, the three that I've identified. Vicks might have some that he wants to dive into as well, but I thought the number one one positive takeaway above all else was the play of Jacob Markstrom because he was one of the best players on the ice. He very resoundingly outplayed Connor Hellebuck at the other end of the ice. The Jets were the better team. Like at five on five, the Jets were almost all night the better team. They finished with a scoring chance edge of 49 to 23, including 18 to 10 from the slot. And then at five on five, even more slanted. Scoring chances were 33-10 Winnipeg at five on five, including 15 to five from the slot. They almost doubled Calgary's five on five shot attempts. 59 to 30 were the shot attempts. The Flames were under 35% on their five on five possession. I honestly cannot remember the last time the Flames were that low at the end of a regular season or playoff game in their five-on-five shot rate. They were on Wednesday night, and Vicks, if Markstrom is not dialed in from the minute the puck dropped, and you can nitpick the Connor goal all you want, but if he's not dialed in from minute one until minute 60 on Wednesday night, that's a different story. That could have been a win going away for the Winnipeg Jets instead there were stretches where Jacob had to make three and four 10-bell stops or close to 10-bell stops in a row or in very, very short succession. If he's not at his best 
And if he's not dialed, Flames don't win that game against the Jets. Well, and you want to talk 10 bell saves. How about that one on Shifley in the slot on the power play? And 12 seconds later, Rasmus Anderson scores shorthanded. Jacob Markstrom had about as big a statement game as you can for a goalie that struggled so mightily last season, wanted to turn the page, has turned the page, and came out. What were the Flames outshot in the first six minutes? They 11 to 2, something like Sounds that. Sounds about right. He held the fort, and it was one of those situations where it's like, ooh, if shot two or three or four goes in, that game is curtains five minutes into the into the game, the way the Winnipeg Jets were playing and continued to play yeah. for 60 minutes. You mentioned the shots or scoring chances, 33-10 at five on five. Jacob Markstrom, you said he was one of the best players on the ice. For my money, he was the best player on the ice. Thoroughly outplayed Connor Hellebuck and just at every turn. Like, I went into the Jets room post game. They weren't sad. They weren't upset. They weren't defeated by what had happened on the ice. They were took the approach of, we put that game on the ice 82 times. We're winning more often than not. So even the Jets were quite satisfied with how they played, and they should be. And, they should and the be. only reason they didn't have two points or even one point, Jacob Marshall. Yeah, and I mean, I'd, I'd be pretty happy with the way that uh, my team played as well if I were them because they did play really well. That was a really solid outing for Winnipeg and and I came away quite impressed with the way they played. But also uh, you you still you still have to beat the goaltender and uh, yeah the goaltender was one of and the only other guy and we'll get to him in a second. The only other guy that that from a flame standpoint was close was Manchapani. I thought that he was just awesome all night but you know on the Markstrom front, it's just such a positive that that's the way that he starts off because I know that his last start of the preseason, that loss in Vancouver, a lot of, oh, geez, he let in the first shot again. Can't see, can't be seeing that as the game goes along. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of spotlight or a lot of focus on how Jacob is going to play this year. There's a lot of talk about how, important him having a bounce back year is going to be, which is very fair. He needs to have a bounce back year and he's one of the players that needs to have a massive bounce back. But to see him start the season looking like the $6 million goaltender that they went out and signed a number of years ago, he looked like a number one goaltender. He looked like a top notch goaltender. And I honestly don't, I, 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 yeah, the Kyle Connor goal, he probably wants it back. Still a sneaky shot from one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. Well, even on that one, too, Jordan Osterley's reaction to it, Osterley know, knew to a certain degree he got in the way of either the vision of yeah, the release or the took the eyes slightly. Still, still, one you'd like to have if you're Jacob Markstrom. And had he not made 34 other saves that were, you know, 25 of those were five bell saves. Then maybe you nitpick that one, but the overall body work, and I'm going to float this by you because we talked a lot in the summer about two guys more than anybody else needed to have bounce back years. uh, Jonathan Huberto was one. Jacob Markstrom was the other one. I think the Calgary Flames hypothetically could in 23-24 survive Jonathan Huberto yeah. not fully yeah, yeah. bouncing back. Not a chance they're a playoff team if Jacob Markstrom can. Yeah, if, if Jacob Markstrom isn't a 9-12 goaltender, if Jacob Markstrom is is one of the bottom third goaltenders in the NHL via save percentage like he was last year, yeah, I don't think... I don't think they're making the playoffs. I'm completely with you. I don't think he needs to be a Vesna Trophy finalist. 
I don't think that is the I don't think that's the bar that he needs to hit. He just needs to be what he is, and that's a number one goaltender who can win far more often than he loses, who can take on a 55 to 60 games played or a game started workload and give you 910 to 915 and do that over the course of a long season, which he has done far more often than not over the last five to seven years. And last year he didn't. I, I think the way that we saw him play last night on third in, in Wednesday's home opener, season opener, that's a really good starting indication that and it's look, it's one point two percent of the season. It's like 3% of Jacob's season when it comes to him starting games. But that's a really positive start, and that was the thing that I was most encouraged by coming out of Wednesday's win. Yeah, it's you did it in game one. You're going to get somewhere between 49 and 55-ish more starts, depending on how the schedule plays out. So you've got to do it more than once very clearly. But a great start. And what I like most about the performance was Jacob Markham's performance after the game and talking to the media. I mean, oh, nope, don't care about last year. Nobody's looking about yesterday, last week, a year ago from now. Yeah, We're only looking one direction. Emphatic. He was dialed. And if you can get that Jacob Markstrom on the ice and off the ice, the Flames will be in a good spot. Again, just one game. Just one game. But you got to have that game you'd before you can have the next you'd one. You'd much rather have it be an encouraging start for the most yes. important bounce-back player this team needs this year than it be the other way. You'd much rather be coming out of that game saying, damn, 25 looked good, and he was the biggest reason why the Flames won a hockey game as opposed to, oh, boy, there were, there were one or two there, poorly timed ones that you just can't have go in at that time. There wasn't any of that, and you can tell me all you want about the Kyle Connor goal, but I, I don't put that down as an egregiously bad goal myself. So, you know what? Good on Jacob. Good start. It's game one. He'll need to be like that. And I think here's the last point I'll make before I move on to takeaway number two. I think the Flames might need Jacob Markstrom to be at that dialed best in the early stages. There were a lot of things, as we heard Ryan Huska off the yeah. top, there were a lot of things that need to be fine-tuned in their five-on-five -five game. There are a lot of things with and without the puck that they're going to need to take some pretty rapid steps forward on. And I think will, because I think a lot of the things that we saw last night that looked really rough aren't that difficult to clean up. I don't think we're talking about systemic changes. We're thinking about little fine-tune and, and little clean-up things that just come with some slightly better decision-making and slightly more reps. And But as that, as that plays itself out, I think having Jacob Markstrom at his best and playing some really good hockey is going to allow the Flames to put together a decent-ish record or could as they really figure out what they are and really feel comfortable in terms of the way they need to play. Agreed. If he can buy the Calgary Flames a little bit of time to get used to that more defensive system, and yeah, they had eight games in preseason to go through it, but let's be honest, five or six of those games were half the roster was guys that were either AHL bound back to junior. They only played, what, one real game with their NHL roster in the, in the finale leading up to things. So there will be some video sessions that the Calgary Flames will go through over the next, well, I've had one today, I assure you, but we'll go through the next 24 to 48 hours to address some of those systemic things that they need to further dial in. And until they get to the point where they have it as second nature, as opposed to thinking it, then doing it, yep. Markstrom is going to be the guy to hold the fort yep. until that time comes. 
Okay, positive takeaway number two. Special teams. I thought that was a really um, a real bright spot for them. Scored a power play goal, and I thought looked dangerous on all three of their power play opportunities. Uh, they created four of their ten slot chances on those three power play opportunities. Obviously scored on the Manjapani goal to make it one nothing. And I just thought both units moved it well. I thought both units reacted well. There was, uh, as as Mick said on our post game on Wednesday night, there was an unpredictability to the power play. And I thought that was a really good observation from Megan. Like. You you didn't know what was coming next, and whether it was Huberdo, whether it was Lindholm, whether it was Kadri, like you didn't know, or or even on the second unit with Manjapani and Backlund, you didn't know what that next move was going to be. Whereas I felt a lot of last year, you knew what was coming next, and you know probably Huberdo's going to go down low to Lindholm, and they're just going to keep it on the outside. Whereas there were a couple of times where Huberdo looked one way, and then fed the other and a couple of times Kadri in that bumper spot went like oh he probably would have shot that last year because shot 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 volume but instead moved to the half wall found Coronado and played pass a little bit with him I just the 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 power play looked dangerous they scored a goal and I thought that was a, a real positive overall in their game I think last year as the season went on, a lot of the power play, and I don't have the metrics to back this up, so this is just the eye test, and you can disagree with me if you'd like, but it, further into the season, it kept going back to finding Toffoli as a trigger guy, and now you sort of go through the power play personnel that you just did, and there are even times when Lindholm and Kadri worked themselves into different spots and, and swapping spots, and you had Huberto on the left side either going back up top to Rasmus Anderson. He could go down to Elias Lindholm. He even went backdoor to Matt Coronado on one play where Coronado had two or three swipes at trying to knock it in off the left pad of uh, Connor Hellebuck and wasn't able to do it. But you look through the personnel and you're right. This, uh, this is what happens when you're able to layer in that unpredictability is you don't necessarily know who the designated trigger guy is at any point. And it can, can be a shot off the flank from Elias Lindholm. can be a one-timer up top from Rasmus Anderson. It can be that bumper spot with Kadri, or it could be just, you know, a cross-ice seam pass to the back door to Matt Coronado. And the fact that the Calgary Flames don't have one set guy they're going to defer to on that, maybe if they want to lean a little bit from the creativeness of, of Jonathan Huberto, you can do that, but that's not the trigger guy. That's the guy yeah. setting up that. And when he has more options to play with and is more comfortable and that unit, which we've seen practice twice pregame prior to Wednesday's game at the morning skate, you're able to layer in that unpredictability, as Mick said. And then I also, I, I, I thought there were some good things in the penalty kill too. I mean, not just because they went four for four and the Jets didn't score a power play goal, but they also did a nice job of, of limiting damage. And uh, they only allowed three slot shots or three slot attempts on t- eight minutes of power play time. That's it, hey? Yes. Oh, man, I really like the Winnipeg power play. But as you mentioned, Flames did a good job of holding they, the fort. And Mark uh, Markstrom had, what, 14 saves on the penalty kill? He did, but a lot of them were more on the outside. Yeah. And and so I think it was a nice first step. I think you'd spent, like to spend a little bit more time with some 200-foot clears, and I think it, there, there's some things that they can add to and augment on the penalty kill. But I felt like Jacob was actually tested 
more often and had to be more dialed at five on five than he did on the penalty kill. And that's a credit to, to Calgary, I think, in, in the way they limited. Um, and so I, I thought actually, in my opinion, and, and you might disagree, I know Greg in varsity, for instance, does, and that's fine. I thought Winnipeg was their least dangerous on the power play. Like, so the, the Jets generated 18 slot shots or slot attempts in the, in the loss. 15 of them came five on really? five and three of them came on the power play. Cause I'm not going to lie. I saw that Winnipeg jets power play and they were moving it even more efficiently than I thought Calgary was in their opportunities. And so if I were from a Calgary flames perspective, first and foremost, and this isn't to single out last game, this is how it's got to be 82 games of the year. Plus playoffs. Why not? Your goaltender has to be your best penalty killer. I thought far and away Jacob Markstrom was their best penalty killer with those 14, 15 saves shorthanded. I just surprised it, and that's the value of analytics is being able to roll back and go, okay, what did Aaron see with his eye versus what's Pat looking at with the numbers? Because I thought that Winnipeg Jets power play was super dangerous. They just didn't convert. But three, only three slot attempts? Yeah. I'm See, I'm flabbergasted by that because I feel like off the top of my head, there was the Shifley one that led to the Rasmus Anderson goal. Gabe Velarde must have had 19 in the vicinity. There were there were more that that were a little from the spread uh, out, little little more just kind of on the periphery of of the high danger area. A few more that you add in, and and Connor's the type of guy that he his power play goals don't come a lot of the time from the slot because he's so dangerous from the circle. There's no doubt about that. And Velarde, they they tried working that with the circle shot as well. But I just I I, I thought Calgary did a nice job of being able to limit damage and second and third chances were almost non-existent. I will, I will give that at least based from, from my perspective. Well, and I, and I also, I mean, there is the one, obviously the goal that Rasmus scored that, that was a huge momentum swing. Cause that's a Winnipeg power play after they just tied it two yep. two had their first opportunity to go out in front. And instead it's Rasmus Anderson who's scoring that goal. So I, I thought, I just thought the the penalty kill at times was able to, quell momentum a little bit and I thought that was important too. Bent but didn't break in my perspective if that's that's how I would go about describing it and again and again Jacob Marcher your goalie has to be your best penalty killer he he far and away was for me. Positive takeaway number three for me was Andrew Mangiapane I thought he was the best skater for the Flames Um, two goals three points he had the ridiculous high end assist on the game winner to Elias Lindholm. That was uh, that's that video was, game stuff. That almost. was Johnny Gaudreau like stuff. I was like, who who is that? Who just that was Mangiapane. Uh, that was a, a really really nice pass from behind the net across the crease. And then there's Lindholm who makes no mistake on the game winner with what a buck thirty two to go. Um, he was the only player on the Calgary Flames who was in the black on on ice shot rate. Uh, he was 57.1%. I think the next best player was 45%. Yeah, it wasn't close. It, like, the Flames were underwater at 5-on-5. Five five. It was they almost a complete drowning. flip from a season ago. It really was. Like, oh, the team that is um, spending all night in their own zone, oh, they scored five. And I did not think Connor Hellebuck played well at all. That was uh, a rough night from a Vesna Trophy candidate. Um, but I thought Manjapani was really strong. 57.1%. And he had the three points. He was winning puck battles. He was forcing turnovers. He was always around when things were happening, even if the puck wasn't coming off of his stick. I just thought it was a really good, positive night for Andrew Mangiapane. And that is the Mangiapane 
the Flames need is a bounce back. So there, there's a second bounce back candidate that got off to a really good start. Three points, two goals. He looked like himself. He looked like that uh, quote that Brad Trilliving gave Flames Talk fam member Wes Gilbertson uh, last year about looking out the ear hole of his helmet. Like that was the Andrew Mangiapane that we saw. And that was a really, really, I thought, positive and encouraging night for number 88. So he's on pace for 164. Are you taking the over or the under there? I'll, I'll take the over. You detailed a bunch of the things that he did last night, and those were a lot of the things that he did two seasons ago when he scored 35. And I feel like I gave him a bit of a rough ride last year, and he needs to be a bounce-back candidate. And when you go from 35 to under 20, then, yeah, thanks, Tips. You need him to be more productive than, than he was a season ago. But just seeing him in game one, versus seeing him at times last season and the things he was doing against the Winnipeg Jets that he maybe wasn't doing in December or January or February last year. I think that the shoulder really was an issue that, again, I didn't even realize that until he needed shoulder yep. surgery and then talking to him, oh yeah, it happened three games into the season last year. I'm ballparking because wow. he didn't specify which. But he didn't know, he said, he told us, he didn't know how bad it was until he knew what 100% felt like. Yep. And we saw 100% of Andrew Mangiapane on Wednesday night against the Winnipeg Jets. And as you mentioned, and for my money, the best skater on the ice for the Calgary Flames. Well, and and I was talking to a couple of people with the Flames after the game, and and one of the things that that was pointed out by by two people that that I really trust is that that game and him having the game that he had adds a ton of confidence to how he feels about his shoulder because. I think he was still questioning it. And and I think even th- during the preseason, as he was getting ramped up, he still wasn't fully confident in it. And then he scores two goals. Granted, one's an empty netter. I get it. But he, there was no ill effects. He looked like the Andrew Mangiapane that Flames fans love to tweet about and they love to, uh, they, they love to scream, eat bread, and all that type of stuff. Right? That looked like him. And I think the fact that he was able to get rewarded, come away with three points... Uh, and feel like himself, I think that'll be a big step forward confidence-wise with the shoulder, too. Well, one of the issues last year is the shoulder would feel what would have been felt as normal, and then every two or every third or every fourth game, it would pop out, and then you're starting back from square one. So it's understandable that he didn't have the full confidence in the preseason or even you know, needing game one to really feel good about the shoulder because you're kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop like he did all of last season. So when he's able to start feeling good consistently over and over again and not suffer any setbacks or suffer any, you know, things that make you flash back to a season ago, that's just going to continue to build and build. Uh, By the way, uh, his good buddy Rasmus Anderson, um, I asked Mange about Raz when he joined us on Tuesday. Uh, and uh, this is uh, Raz was our post game guest on Wednesday night, and uh, I asked him a little bit. Final thought: Good to see your boy Manj looked a whole lot more like himself tonight, didn't he? Yeah, about time. No, I'm <laughs> uh, I'm happy for him. Yeah, he's a hell of a player. Yeah, about time. <laughs> Nothing's free with Rasmus Anderson. I'll tell you that right now. How about, how about this? This was the beginning of the interview, and uh, when I hey, uh, Ra, how how how'd the game go last night? How'd you feel? No, it felt good. Um... Wow, that's a heavy buzz, but uh, yeah, um, ever. yeah, it feels good. Um, <laughs> that's a heavy buzz. It is. I mean, listen to that. Wow, that's uh, a heavy buzz, but uh, <laughs> I won't even ask you the technical elements because I don't know what was right going on. 
We're uh, working with a 277-year-old infrastructure at the soon-to-be-replaced Scotiabank Saddledome. You know, my phone never gives that buzz. There was, some, there was a loose cord or something. So it happened in our first intermission interview, and then I was like, ah, maybe that was just, maybe that was just the board, and then it happened on this. Nope, no, there's something, there's something wrong. And Raz called us out on it. <laughs> oh, that's a heavy buzz. No free passes with Rasmus no, Anderson. And nor should there be. Well, that's a heavy buzz. But. Yeah, it really is. A um, few texts at 960-960. Nice to be on the other end of outscoring the opponent by 10 or more and losing. Didn't they set an NHL record for that last year? I believe that's one of the uh, obscure stats that Wilsey throws around. Like, yeah, 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 they lost a lot of games where they had a massive shot edge, for sure. This uh, Greg in varsity. Pat, I respectfully disagree about the penalty kill. The only reason Winnipeg didn't score was because of Markstrom. That pass from behind the goal to the guy in the slot worked every time for Winnipeg, and they got a quality scoring chance from six feet on Winnipeg's power play. I didn't mind the PK. That's fine. Um, also, pretty good job by me on the voice to text there. Um, for instance, the only reason Winnipeg didn't score was because of Mark Markstrom. Love Mark Markstrom. Marky Mark. Marky Mark. Exactly. Uh, Dan and Cochran says, uh, Kyle Connor's goal against Markstrom doesn't bother me. 40 goal scorers get to 40 by capitalizing on shots and chances. Just like that. It's just what goal scorers do. Marky was dialed in. Here's hoping it's a sign of things to come. Go Flames. That's from Dan in... Uh, that's from Dan and Cochran. Uh, this says, um, they made the most of their opportunities last night. Something that didn't happen as much last year. This says last season the Flames barely missed the playoffs, and you can think back to all those games that gone away. If the Flames make playoffs this year, you'll think to Wednesday night as one of those they got points where last year they would have found a way to not get them. Very, uh, very good point, and I think that's one of the um, one of the points that uh, Derek made on on Wednesday as well. Is that that could have been a game they found a way to lose in 22-23 on this night? 1.2 percent of the season they found a way to win. 17 OT losses as part of 31 goal losses a season ago. Yeah, that's a little bit different last night versus what we saw a season ago. And it was brought up post-game, where it's like, is there a conscious effort to make sure that that game doesn't get to overtime? Yeah. Well, it didn't get to overtime. It wasn't a, oh, no, we're afraid of overtime situation. But, hey, seize the opportunity when you have it. Uh, this reads, the Connor goal was a groaner, but the team, mostly Markstrom, didn't fold to it like last year. Marky played great. That's from Matt in Cochrane. Uh, Wedley says Mark Markstrom had the good vibrations last night. He nice. Come on, come on, come on. It's one of the songs I can go work DJ Power work Play staple? Not really. No? But just an absolute banger. Fair enough. It's about that time. Bring forth the rhythm and the rhyme. Anyway, uh, and then this says, I also had a heavy buzz after the game last night. Well played. Well, that's a heavy buzz. Yeah. Dynamite. Dynamite. I'm hoping that because it's an early game on Saturday, maybe I can also um, have that same feeling after the after the Flames Talk post game show. Well, that's a heavy buzz. Yep. Uh, that's like I'll, when you get your hair cut a little that. too short, maybe. <laughs> the heavy like buzz. That, that's when I when I go right to the wood. Yeah. Uh, by the way, just wanted to say um, an incredible memorial service on Thursday afternoon for late assistant general manager and VP of hockey operations, Chris Snow, was was uh, was pretty gut wrenching. Kelsey Snow was uh, was just incredible, and and the fact that she said right at the beginning, you know, wives. I don't think wives usually do this, but Chris made me, and and she went up there and 
and got through it, and and it was uh, it was it was gut wrenching, um, but it was incredible. I thought all the speakers were just perfect, yeah. and uh, Brad Treliving, the former GM, hit every note, and 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 I just, to all the people who loved who loved Chris to to Kelsey and Willa and to Cohen to to Chris Soteropoulos and uh, to Craig Conroy and Brad Treliving and, and everybody else. Who, who loved who loved Chris? Uh, we really are thinking of you still, and uh, Flames Talk still sending all those vibes and still sending uh, all that uh, that that good healing support as much as we can. So I just wanted to say that it, was, it truly was an incredible service in Calgary uh, on Thursday. So wanted to just make sure I make sure I said that as uh, we continue along here on this hour of Flames Talk. It's Pat and Aaron along with you. Uh, tune into the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report, brought to you by Casiero Del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend Contest. The chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford, where Man U legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casiero Del Diablo, available at the AGLC. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CassieraManchester.com. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time for our Thursday Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Get the chance to drive a brand new GLC 300 with zero down for $1,099 a month. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary Airport. Steinberg, Vickers, now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Flames are 1-0, 5-3 on Wednesday night, so open up the season. And one of the things that was fairly noticeable for me in the win, I'm curious if it was for, for the two of you, I thought it was it was noticeable how, not just on the score sheet, which they did, but also away from things that actually count for goals and assists. I just thought Calgary's blue line was was quite involved in the offense, and they got Erasmus Anderson shorthanded goal. They got the Mackenzie Weger goal off the faceoff. You know, I thought Zadorov was involved defensively. I thought Hannafin had a couple of forays in there. Anyway, I, I, I bring that up because I, I just wonder, like, how important is offense from the back going to be this season for Calgary's success? I think it's going to be pretty important because they're not a team that is built around one or two or three generational players. So I think the Flames are going to have to win the same way that, the, for instance, the Golden Knights won last season. And that's with balance and depth and being able to roll four lines and three pairings and potentially use multiple goaltenders as well. And Last year, the Flames got quite a bit of offense from their defense. The 49 goals that their defensemen scored were third most in the NHL. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the only two teams that uh, got more goals from their defensemen were the Hurricanes and the Panthers, and they both got pretty good blue lines. So I do think it's going to be important. And there did appear to be more of a green light, uh, without a better way to say it, during the preseason than what we saw last season for Flames defensemen to get involved in the rush and, and get involved offensively. And it was good to see that. And I think back to my first two, three seasons covering this team and you know, how we talked a lot about uh, you know guys like Mark Giordano and, and TJ Brody and Dennis Weidman getting involved 
in the rush and, and offensively and how much that helped the Flames uh, increase their goal totals and, and win totals in turn. So I do think it's going to be important. They've got some guys back there who can really skate. That helps when you want to join the rush. And they've got some really intelligent defensemen as well. So I think the potential there uh, is there for the Flames to be even more explosive offensively uh, from their defensemen this season. And uh, I think last night was a prime example of that. Yeah, you run through the personnel that the Calgary Flames have at their disposal and names like Rasmus Anderson, who you think of immediately as a guy that can jump in and as a guy that should probably be penciled in for 50 points. Mackenzie Weger the same way. Noah Hannafin as well, and Hannafin skating affords him the luxury of jumping up and being able to get back at the same time. And then there's Nikita Zadorov as well, who's uh, 14 goals a season ago would have ranked him in the top 10 in the NHL. And of course, that was aided by a hat trick in game 82, if I'm not mistaken. But still, he's got the uh, prowess to go end-to-end at almost any time whenever he sees an opening to do so. And then you can even layer in the likes of Chris Tanev, who Coach Ryan Huska said is probably the best at picking his spots amongst the entire core. So you mentioned it, Wilsey, and it's right nail on the head for me is the Calgary Flames are going to get offense done by committee. It's going to be by depth, and it's going to be by balance. And a lot of that has to be contributions. 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 Contributions from your blue line. Yeah. And I I, I think it's going to be a really important part of the way this team plays because part of the way this team wants to play, and I know we didn't see a lot of it on Wednesday. There's there's a lot of fine-tuning and cleaning up that they're going to need to do here over the next five to ten games. I think it's going to be a work in progress, and and that's fine. It's it's part of the 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 new coaching style, the new some of the new X's and O's. There's just some different things that they're working through. Um, but when this team is more comfortable with how everything is supposed to be done, a big part of what they want to do is to point their noses north at the very earliest time that they can do that. And part of that is going to be a blue liner jumping and a blue liner getting that green light to help join or lead a rush out of the zone. And you mentioned Tanev. He's great at it. I, I think one of the more underrated things that Chris Tanev does is skate pucks out of trouble yep. and skate pucks out of the defensive zone. And and he doesn't he doesn't usually contribute a lot offensively and and things that end up on the scoreboard, but that's how you transition your offense quickly. So he's good at it. We know that Hannafin and Anderson and Weger are very strong at it too. So I just I I, I think it's gonna be a really important part of the way they get to their offense. I think it's gonna be a really important way that they enter the offensive zone. And and I, I do think that off the rush stuff is is going to be encouraged even more with this Flames team this year. And and you've got some good shots from the point. So long story short, guys. Willsey, I think it's going to be a really important part of of the way they score and the way they generate offense this year. I do too. And I think the potential is there for the Flames to be even better on defense. And that includes playing well defensively, but also chipping in offensively this season than they've been in a number of seasons. And one of the big reasons why is because you look at their top pairing. You've got Noah Hannafin and Rasmus Anderson, who at 26 should just be entering the prime of their careers. And Hannafin had a pretty good year offensively, put up 38 points last season, uh, the second highest total of his career. But uh, I think there's room for growth there. I definitely think there's room for growth with Rasmus Anderson, who did have 11 goals last season, which was more than double his previous career high of five. So he was shooting it more, but I still think he can shoot it more. And I think he's right on the cusp 
of becoming a truly elite defenseman in this league. But even Nikita Zadorov at 28, I think the offensive upside's always been there, but I think he's just starting to realize it. And the 14 goals he scored last season, and yeah, you're right, Aaron, three of them were in the 82nd game, which didn't mean anything, but, you know, he, he still scored those three goals, and he still scored 14 last season. I think he's starting to realize that, yeah, he's he's a big guy, and he can be physical and, and good defensively, but there's something there offensively as well. And Chris Tanev's never going to be a big goal scorer or, or even point producer. If they awarded third assists, I bet you he'd have a bunch of them because, Pat, to your point, he does a great job skating the puck out of the zone or making a really good first pass. And quite often doing those two things lead to, to spending time in the offensive zone and, and scoring goals. And, and even Jordan Osterley. I mean, here's a guy who skates really well. And I think it's one of the reasons why he earned that number six defense spot during the preseason because he was willing to to use that green light that uh, head coach Ryan Huska gave him and his uh, fellow defensemen and, and jump up into the rush and try to create offense that way. And hey, if the Flames do get Oliver Shillington back, he, he can skate like the wind and there's some offensive upside there as well. So They've got a good group back there, and, and I am expecting them to contribute, and I think the Flames are going to need them to. The one thing I'm going to watch for throughout the first month of the season as it pertains to this conversation is the quality of chances and the quality of opportunities the defensemen see to jump in because I think we're going to see a blue line, generally speaking, that's pickier and more selective. They're not going to try and coursey the opponent into submission like it was a season ago, whether that's off the rush or sustained pressure and then just funneling every single puck you get back up top to the front of the net. I think the Calgary Flames blue line and the, the core that uh, we talked about, Uyghur, Hannafin, Rasmus Anderson, Zadorov, so on and so forth, will be afforded the opportunity to, hey, maybe try to make a move before just funneling a puck to the net, try to open a lane, try to create something because it's not mm-hmm. just going to be about getting pucks to the net at the end of the day. And guys, I, I should have mentioned Mackenzie Weger because I thought he was actually their best defenseman in the back half of last season. And as he got comfortable in a new city and on a new team and with a bunch of new partners, and sometimes he was playing on the left, sometimes he was playing on the right. But as he got more comfortable last season, y- you saw him start to contribute more offensively as well and you know he's a guy who can certainly play that shutdown role but uh, you look at his totals from his last season with the Panthers he can help out offensively as well so again you look at that group of, of six or seven uh, with Shillington potentially coming back and uh, it's, it's pretty exciting to think about what they could do uh, chipping yeah. in uh, and helping out scoring goals and producing points. Derek, Aaron, Pat, Daily Flames Roundtable on a Thursday Flames Talk. So I would suggest that through training camp and the preseason, now that the regular season's underway, that nobody has kind of bounced around more trying to find a fit than Yegor Sharangovich. He started on that Lindholm line. He had been on other lines through the preseason and training camp. And then Wednesday night, he started on the Kadri line. Uh, and then Thursday, today at practice, he was centering the fourth line with Walker Dewar and A.J. Greer. It's just been, it's it really has been a process, a learning process, trying to figure out exactly where Sharon Govich fits here, hasn't it? It has been, and that's why I asked Ryan Huska about it uh, during media availability today, because if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, he has played on all four lines, and... If you include him centering the fourth line today, he has played at all three forward positions 
since the start of training camp. Is that Which, correct? It is, and it's one of the things I remember Craig Conroy saying when they acquired him was that we like that he can play all three positions, which he now yeah. has. You, you like that versatility in one sense, but in another sense, you'd also kind of like him to settle into one spot and figure out who he is and what his role is going to be. And, you know, he started training camp playing on the right side of the top line with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto. And when we asked Ryan Huska about it at the time, he said, well, I like his speed. I like his 200 foot game. And on paper, I think he's a good fit there. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it looked that way to me as well, but it just, it didn't work on the ice. And he just looks like a guy who is, is still trying to figure out who he is as a player and how he fits on this team. And I'm not sure that long-term uh, he's going to be the Flames' fourth-line centerman, but maybe if you you cut back on his responsibilities a little bit, you take some pressure off of him by taking him out of the top nine and just let him settle in uh, to a new city and to a new team, and uh, in this case with some new line mates, maybe you, you just allow him to get comfortable and to, to figure everything out, and then you, you slowly move him up and potentially move him around from there. But you, you can see that he's got a lot of skill. He skates really well. I think he's been responsible defensively. But offensively, there hasn't been much there, if anything, to this point. And, again, I just think he's trying to figure out what he is and how he fits. Yeah, you mentioned Sharon Govich still figuring out the coaching staff as well because outside of A.J. Greer, the coaching staff has the least amount of familiarity with Sharon Govich, and you're right. You can see glimpses in his game. The intelligence is there. I really like the 200-foot element, the, the penalty kill element, but he needs to do the quote-unquote take the bull by the horns a little bit more and figure out where he fits. Now we're talking about how he slots into the lineup in game two of 82, but it's just going to be a situation where he needs to get more comfortable. And we talked about it all last year with uh, new guys coming in and, and trying to find the fit both on and off the ice. I think Sharon Govich is at this present time, still trying to sort out where he fits on the ice and in the room with this group. But he can be a little bit more assertive, I think, and that'll help him out over the long term. I'm sorry. You th- Figure out what it is you do. That, <laughs> that's all I was thinking yeah. about when you said that. Uh, that was That's an I think you should leave reference. Yeah. I'm not actually being that. And you, uh, you cracked up hard there, and it made it difficult on me because I knew exactly what you were thinking. That's a chunky. Anyway, Derek, if, until you watch the show, we can't be full friends. You need to watch the show, and then you'll get all these references. Just kidding. Um, what show? It's called I Think You Should Leave. It, it, it'll literally take you like an hour and a half to get through the entire three seasons. If you can ever watch it, I, uh, I, I, I literally would love you that much more. Um, I'll put it on the list. Okay, thank you. I, I actually quite like Sharon Govich on the penalty kill against Winnipeg. I thought that was uh, I thought he was one of the better killers in uh, in that game, and I've liked him on the PK throughout the preseason and training camp as well. So that is a nice uh, that's a, a nice thing to have in your back pocket. But yeah, th- this is definitely a feeling out process. I think part of it's on him to to kind of okay. And and now I go back to what I said. Okay, figure out what it is that you do well and how you can. Not everybody knows how to do everything. <laughs> That's also true. Uh, you you can figure out. Okay, this is where my niche is. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so part of that's on him, but part of it is also on on this coaching staff learning a little bit more about him. And I think much like off the hop, you know how we talked about how. 
It might be a work in progress over the first 5, 10, 15 games, period. I think it, it might be a work in progress in determining where exactly Sharon Govich fits best. I'm, I'm with you, Derek. I don't see him as the permanent number four C, but give him a try there and, and see how that goes. And, you know, there's also there's other guys who are in that same spot. Uh, I think Manjapani and Dubé are two players that they're also trying to find out exactly where the best fit is right now, too. So uh, Sharon Govich isn't alone. It's just I think he's got a little bit more of a spotlight on him just because of the trade he was part of in the offseason. So it'll be something to watch here. It will be. And I wonder if a lack of confidence could be part of the issue, guys, because when I look at his first three NHL seasons, pretty good numbers, 16 goals and 30 points in 54 games in year one. And then a career-high 24 goals and 46 points in 76 games in year two. And he was able to avoid the sophomore slump, but it was his third year where he kind of took a step back. 13 goals and 30 points in 75 games last season. And the Devils had a good team, but he only played in three postseason games for them. And then he gets traded. So I do wonder if uh, a lack of confidence is part of the problem with him right now. And... I guess I could understand why it would be because he has been kind of bounced around both with the Devils and and now with the Flames, and he's trying to find a a spot that fits. He's proven in the past, playing on a line with Jack Hughes, who's just an excellent young player, that he can play with the top players, which not all guys can do. And he's been given an opportunity to play with almost all of the Flames' top players. To this point, he hasn't found a fit. They haven't found a fit but I'm not convinced that they won't. Uh, There's a pretty interesting skill set there, so I might just take the guy some time. Yeah, I don't disagree, and the thing coming in for him is, man, there's a whole heap of pressure put on him. You mentioned he's part of the Tyler Toffoli trade. He's the primary asset return for the club's leading scorer from a season ago. He's immediately airdropped into Tyler Toffoli's old spot. The Calgary Flames don't necessarily need him to be a Tyler Toffoli replacement, but they will need him to figure out the elements of his game that will help him contribute on a full-time basis with the club. Thank you, Wilsey. Appreciate it, pal. We'll talk to you on Friday. Okay, guys. Talk tomorrow. He is Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour. Thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers as well. And that will wrap us up on our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Book your winter detail package today for $349. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Minutes from the Calgary Airport.